Today's uh, July 3rd, in case you didn't know. This is officially the 4th of July weekend. July 4th, the day that our country recognizes as Independence Day. And on this day, on July 4th, 1776, Congress signed the unanimous declaration of the 13 United States of America. Now, I don't know if any of you have ever taken the time to read that particular declaration, but uh, there's some things that I found interesting in it that I want to share just a couple paragraphs from it. And uh, as it relates to what we'll talk about this morning, we'll read this. When in the course of human events it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume the powers of the earth, the separate and equal station in which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them, a decent respect, are, a decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed, that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its power in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and their happiness. Prudence indeed will dictate that governments long established should not be changed for light and transient causes, and accordingly all experience hath shown that mankind are more disposed to suffer while evils are sufferable than to right themselves by abolishing the forms to which they are accustomed. But when a long train of abuses and usurpations pursuing invariably the same object invents a design to reduce them under absolute depotism, it is their right, it is their duty to throw off such government and to provide new guards for their future security. Such has been the patient sufferance of these colonies and such is now the necessity which constrains them to alter their form of systems of government. The history of the present king of Great Britain is a history of repeated injuries and usurpations, all having in direct object the establishment of absolute tyranny over these states. To prove this, let these facts be submitted to a candid world. And then the authors go on and describe the oppression and throughout the rest of the particular declaration, we read, he has refused, he has refused for the sole purpose of fatiguing us, he has dissolved, he has refused, he has endeavored to prevent, he has obstructed, he has made judges dependent upon his will alone, he has harassed, he has abdicated government, he has constrained. Our repeated petitions have been answered only by repeated injury. A prince whose character is thus marked by every act which may define a tyrant is unfit to be the ruler of a free people. The concluding paragraph reads, We therefore, the representatives of the United States of America and General Congress assembled, appealing to the supreme judge of the world for the restitute of our intentions due in the name and authority of the good people of these colonies, solemnly publish and declare that these united colonies are and of a right ought to be free and independent states, that they are absolved from all allegiance to the British crown and all political connections between them and the state of Great Britain is and ought to be totally dissolved. And that as free and independent states, they have full power to levy war, conclude peace, contract alliances, establish commerce, and do all other acts and things which independent states may have a right to do. And for the support of this declaration with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. You know, sometimes it's good to sit back and look at our history to understand how far we have 
how far we have fallen and to see those who are in our world today that try to rewrite that history it's pretty obvious that our country was founded upon freedom but not absolute freedom but it was a freedom based upon the sovereignty of God it was an accountability to God and his sovereignty that led for this courageous stand there was a price to be paid there are some things still worth fighting for there are certain behaviors that are still wrong there are behaviors that are still right and uh, basically that's what we celebrate this weekend the irony of all of it, and it hasn't ex escaped me, is the fact that we celebrate our freedoms from such oppression, yet while we claim to be independent, the truth is, is that many of us continue to live our lives enslaved to certain behavior that wrecks havoc in our personal lives. And as example, probably uh, what we started to talk about last week, probably the greatest example of that is, while we claim to be free, there are many of us who are dependent upon and enslaved to behaviors such as uh, that relate to alcohol, drug abuse, nicotine, and other types of behavior that really enslave people. And I think it's ironic on a, on a weekend of independence that there are so many people who are enslaved to that type of behavior. And it's important to understand that the truth is the only thing that sets us free from those things. And the truth is found in the Word of God. And that's why it's important to find out what the Bible says about alcohol, drunkenness, and addiction. And we're going to talk about not only these items, but also throw in there, as far as addiction is concerned, drug use. On, on our way here this morning, my oldest daughter asked, well, are, are you doing drugs again? Now, that's the kind of thing that, that that's a, you know what I mean? It's the kind of thing that you've got to be real careful in, so that anyone who overhears it, that they understand what she meant by that. And I said, yeah, I mean, we started to do it last week and we'll finish it this week. But see, that's the problem when you start to do drugs. You just can't seem to quit. So this is, this is going to be, this is part two. So if you weren't here last week, we're going to pick up where we left off. But the reality of starting to do drugs, it's just a hard thing to stop. So anyway, number one, what does the Bible teach about alcohol, drunkenness, addiction? It teaches, number one, first and foremost, the foundation that we need to understand that drunkenness is always treated as sin, not as a disease. Now, obviously, alcoholism is a very serious disease, and it destroys one's uh, mental capabilities as well as physical processes. But God's not mocked by any of this. He understands that alcohol, alcohol consumption or alcoholism uh, is a sin that needs to be treated as any other sin in Scripture. And the Bible says in Romans 13, 13 through 14, it says, Let us behave, not, let's behave decently as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery or sensuality, not in dissension and jealousy, but rather clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Right off the bat, we see that God warns that drunkenness is a sin before God. And he ties it into, somehow or another, pleasing or gratifying the desires of a sinful nature, which basically is to do things that aren't pleasing to God. So if you, can, if you see that it's tied in together, he says, you know what? These things, uh, sexual immorality, orgies, drunkenness, sensuality, which has to do with loss of standards, uh, those are things that please ourselves. And if you stop and think about the mindset of people that are involved in that type of behavior... They always seem to justify it by saying, well, you know what, but I have a right to be happy, or I have a right to please myself. And yet God says that, you know what, if you call yourself one of God's people, then you've got a problem because God has separated you from that, and he says, now your desire is to please God. 
And if you please God, then God will meet the desires of your life and he will bring satisfaction into your life, as Solomon says in the book of Ecclesiastes, because satisfaction is a gift from God to those who please God. And so we need to understand that, that drunkenness is always treated as a sin and not as a disease. In Ephesians 5.18, we have this command to Christians. Don't be drunk with wine, for this is dissipation. But... Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't be drunk with wine because there's no benefit to it. It's dissipation. It means it evaporates. It's gone. Uh, you're drunk for the moment, but then you know it's gone after that, and you need to have another drink, and it's not a steady or continual high that you're going to experience. You're going to experience it for a little bit, then it goes away, then you've got to do it again, then it goes away, then you've got to do it again, and that's the repetitive nature of that type of activity. But what he's saying is that, you know what? Don't get drunk with wine. It, it does, there's no benefit to it. But... Be filled with the Spirit. See, a person that lives a Spirit-filled life is continually, for lack of a better way to put it, is continually under the control of the Spirit of God, and there's a continual high. As far as, I mean, I look at my life before I was a Christian, and I look at the activities that I was involved in, and I look at the times I got drunk, or the times I did other things that I shouldn't have been doing, but I did anyway because I was trying to please myself, and I look back on all that, and as much, quote, as, as I can remember the, quote, fun... I have never had more fun. I have never enjoyed life more. I have never been more satisfied and had peace in my life and, and enjoyed life more than I have since I have accepted Christ and became a child of God. I, there's nothing, I mean, you can't compare it. You can't even compare the two. Because why? I can go to bed high on Jesus and wake up and I won't have a hangover. Isn't that true? I mean, that's the way it is. I can go to bed high on life and excited about what God is doing in my life and what he's doing in other people's lives and be excited about it and not have to wake up in the middle of the night and run and, and hug the toilet. I don't have to do that. I mean, that's a wonderful thing to realize that, you know what, for God's people, he says, don't be drunk with wine. It's a waste of time. But be filled with the Spirit of God. That's awesome. What a great contrast. The plain and obvious command is don't get drunk. And drunkenness, according to the Bible, is a sin, and it always has been, always will be, and the only solution for sin is the person of Jesus Christ and his work on the cross. That's the only solution for sin. And so while we are dealing with alcoholism and while we're dealing with things like drug addiction, the tendency is to deal with the symptoms and not the root problem. The root problem is, very simple, that there's a need in the person's life who turns to drinking, who turns to drugs, who turns to some other way to escape the reality of their life. There's a need in their life that nothing on this earth can fill, and the need the Bible clearly teaches is Jesus. That's it. The need is forgiveness. The need is to realize that they are created in the image of God. The need is to realize there's a purpose in life. The need to realize is that God has a plan in their life. The need to realize is that there's hope beyond this life. That's what people need. Blaise Pasquale said, Within the heart of every human being is a God-shaped vacuum, and nothing in this earth will ever fill it but coming into the right relationship with God. Solomon says it all throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 2. He says, I try to fill it with everything. I try to fill it with drugs and alcohol. I try to fill it with money and success and fame. I try to fill it, fill it with material things. I try to fill it with sex and women and all that went along with all of that. I try to fill it with everything. And none of it did anything for me. It made me more frustrated. But man, when I turned to God and realized that he, can, he could fill every one of my needs, I had no need for the rest of that. 
When I sought first his kingdom and his righteousness, all the other things that I needed in life were added unto me, and I didn't need that anymore. But the Bible teaches that non-medicinal use of drugs is also treated as sin. In Galatians 5, 19 and 20, we see the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. We can see the evidence of it. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft or sorcery, which is drug use. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions. Then it goes on and it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. It's exactly the opposite of all of these things. And yet as we look at these things, we realize that, you know what? Non-medicinal use of drugs is treated as sin according to the Bible. We may not like what it has to say, but it's pretty obvious that that's what it says. There's no way you can get around it. The truth of the matter is, the Bible teaches that drug use in this form that's non-medicinal, and we'll get into the details of it in a second because here's where a lot of the good questions come up, but that non-medicinal use of drugs is also treated as sin, and I think that any informed person would recognize what that is. If you think of a person who is a drug abuser, there's a certain picture that comes to your mind. And specifically, that's what's being referred to here. Now we have another type of user, so to speak, whether it's alcohol or drugs or whatever, that fits into a different category and it raises some very important questions that we need to discuss. And that is, what about... Now, see, it's obvious that we can argue that drunkenness is a sin, and that's very clear, that drug abuse is a sin, that's very clear, but what about the casual use of such items? What about having a drink? What about smoking a joint? What about doing some recreational drugs? What about those types of behaviors? Because it's interesting, if you stop and you start to ask the questions, the Bible teaches that alcohol and drugs are dangerous. And I think we need to address those questions in light of the guidelines that the Scripture gives us. In Proverbs 20, verse 1, it says this, Wine is a mocker and beer is a brawler. Whoever is led astray by them is not wise. Now, ask yourself the question, oh, what, what are we doing here? Why is this? Oh, the other way. Oh, see, because you're looking this way and I'm looking this way. All right. again. Hang on a second. I'll be right back. Okay. All right, here's the deal. <clears throat> what about those questions? What about it? Having a beer, having a glass of wine, smoking a joint, doing a... See, and the, and the problem that we have to wrestle with is this. You know, there's a movement, and uh, <laughs> our chief surgeon general seems to be behind it, which is amazing to me once again. But there's, a, there's, a, there's a, 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 a feeling or a sense that legalizing drugs will be the answer to the problem, of the problem of drugs in our culture. So when you ask a question, well, what about smoking a joint? Well, right now we could all say, well, you know what? That's wrong because it's illegal. All right, well, what if it was legal? See, is having a drink right or wrong because it's legal or illegal? You see what I'm saying? The argument is really interesting. So if we legalize marijuana, then it wouldn't be illegal to smoke a joint. If we legalize cocaine, it won't be illegal to do coke. If we legalize crack or we legalize heroin or whatever it is that we would legalize, then those things wouldn't be wrong because they're illegal. Then we've got a, a different dilemma to deal with, and that's the same dilemma that I find that when you're dealing with the, the problem of alcohol or, or, or nicotine. 
And that really isn't a matter of whether something is right or wrong based on whether it becomes legal or illegal. It becomes a matter of what are the guidelines that the Bible gives for such behavior because the Bible is our final authority. So you look at that and say, okay, well, what about those things? See, and, 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 and here's what you get thrown out a lot of times. It's this, you know, aren't you being a little legalistic? See, you know, I deal with guys and haven't been around the NFL for 12 years. There was a time where steroids were legal. They weren't a banned substance in that sport. And so I deal with guys that were using steroids, and then they were told they can't anymore because they're illegal, and then they struggled with, well, wait, why were they legal at one point, now illegal at another point? Why are they wrong now and they weren't then? I don't understand. I don't get it. And that's a very good question, and that's a fair question to ask. And so as you look at this, let me just give you some guidelines because that's the only help that we're going to get. There's three things that answer those questions. Number one, God says that wine is a mocker. And I like the picture of that because the picture is it's deceptive. It laughs in your face. It deals with the whole argument. How can this do any harm? How can we find anything wrong in this? Whether it's legal or illegal, you know, it doesn't matter. But God says, hey, you know what? It's a mocker. You know what that means? It means it laughs in your face. It's like a mocking bird. It just, you know, it mimics you. It laughs at your behavior. It, 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 it basically is a reflection of what you are. And so as you go through it, you know, you stop and think, you know what? It really is. If you think about drug use or alcohol use or even smoking, for example, it really is something that mocks you. Let me read a, def a description that one man writes about his struggle with cocaine. He says, the little line of white powder that invites you to snort it up into your system holds out a feeling. It holds out a promise that says, hey, man, that'll do it. That'll do it for you. It feels so good. Why don't you do it? And it does. It does feel good at first. It keeps its promises temporarily. But it doesn't have staying power, so it takes more of the same, and so it gets more expensive. By and by, you start caring less and less about the game you're playing or the job that you're doing or the home you're trying to run or the business or the practice. The feel-good promise lacks staying power. As one user admitted, he said, I could never get a feeling as good as the first time, but I continually kept trying. If that's not a description of mocking, I don't know what is. It's, now we got you. Ha! Think about those who you know who have a problem with drug or alcohol abuse. What do they care about? I worked with a guy. The first time I'd ever experienced this in my life, I'd never been around a person who had a cocaine habit. Didn't know what in the world was going on. I uh, naive. I didn't have a clue. Now I got a little better idea. And regretfully, it's the kind of thing that you'd hope that no one would ever have to experience and go through. But we worked together. I'll give you an example of, of, of how this type of behavior mocks a person. He was a man, he was making a tremendous amount of money, had a very successful business, and I was helping him run it, and uh, really he didn't have to work. He just showed up every now and then, and that's kind of the, the profile, right? Wouldn't make an appointment to meet with one of our customers, and he wouldn't show up. Three days would go by, and I wouldn't even hear from him. Sometimes weeks would go by, wouldn't hear from him. I'd call his wife. She wouldn't tell me what was going on. They had three small kids. She was pregnant with their fourth. And he'd disappear. Finally, I said, what in the world is going on? She said, you know what? I haven't, been, I haven't wanted to tell you this, but he left the other day to get some bread, and I haven't seen him for four days. Well, where is he? 
I don't have any idea. Well, what's he doing? Well, I'd rather not get involved. All right? So he'd show up at the office after he'd gone for a week, after he missed every appointment that we had, after I had to just cover for him by saying, I, I really don't know where he is, uh, which I didn't, so I, I wasn't lying for him. But then we'd have a meeting. I would come back. He'd show up. He'd come popping on in the office. I'd be sitting at my desk. He'd come in, sit down in front of me, and it just, like, nothing ever happened. I said, where were you? What? I mean, what? Where were you? You haven't been around for two weeks. What happened to you? Oh, and he'd make up some stupid story. And then it'd start, well, like, oh, allergies. That's what it was. And, uh, and the next thing you know, his nose would just start bleeding. And it'd just start running down his face. And from what I understand about the problem of a person who's got a coke problem, it burns the membranes, the mucous membranes of your nasal passages. It dries it all out. Sometimes it even eats a hole right through where you can go right through both sides. You've got one big old hole up there. And this is the kind of thing that was going on. And I stop and you think about what the Bible says. If that's not mocking a person, what is? When a person doesn't care about their family anymore or their career anymore or their business anymore or they don't care about their responsibilities, they don't care about their kids, they don't care about, you know, what, you know, what did it cost you? Because I know that if you stood up, some of you could tell me the same story. See, the mocking is, it doesn't care what it does to you. Drugs don't care if they destroy your life. Alcohol doesn't care if it destroys your family. It doesn't care. It mocks you. It laughs in your face. And that's the kind of results that go along with it. You'll lose your job. You'll lose your wife. You'll lose your husband. You'll lose your kids. Hey, you want to go see an uplifting movie? Go see when a man loved a woman. Go see it and watch it. You tell me there's not a problem with drinking, that it's not a potential problem. And anybody that says, but I can control it, it won't happen to me. Every person I ever met that has a problem with an addiction in their life said the same thing at some point. I'm bigger than it. No, you're not. It'll destroy you just like it's destroyed everybody throughout the history of the world. And that's why God's so concerned about warning us that it's not good. It'll mock you. Beer is a brawler. Not only will it mock you, but it will cause violence to take place in your life. Man, how many stories do you have to read in the newspaper about someone who commits a violent crime that was on some type of drug or was drunk? This was last week. Teen killed his girlfriend, 14, then himself. Teenager shot and killed his pregnant 14-year-old girlfriend, Santa Ana, Friday night. Moments later, shot himself to death. It goes on and says that she was pregnant, and they'd been dating since the beginning of the year, and she was three months pregnant with his child. Because of his temper, Rosa Vargas heeded her mother's advice and broke up with the boy a week ago. But on Friday night, the boy and a friend arrived on their bicycles at their house to return some of her belongings and to get his belongings from her. Her brother said he was drunk. He was always drunk. And he pulled out a gun and he shot her and killed her and then he shot himself. Um, people do things under the influence of drugs and alcohol that they wouldn't do if they weren't influenced by such things. Guy that played for the Houston Oilers. Maybe you've read about it or heard about it. He was a defensive lineman. He had his best friend from high school and all through college and now he was in the pros and he was driving down the street and they were both drunk and he wrecked his car. And when he wrecked his car, his friend was killed. And he called 911 and he was crying on the phone saying, so-and-so is dead, he's dead, please send some help. 
Moments later, they heard he got out of the car and he opened his trunk and he grabbed the gun and he blew his brains out. Why did he do it? Because the police said he did it because if the gun wasn't there, number one, he wouldn't have done it. But if he hadn't been drinking and under the influence of something that lowered his inhibitions, he wouldn't have killed himself. See, wine is a mocker and beer is a brawler. It always leads to violence. And the third thing is, if that's not enough for those who say, yeah, but that's not me. That never happens. I'm a happy drunk. All right. Well, okay. Whatever, you know. Or I get chilled out when I'm doing drugs. Whatever, I don't, whatever it is. But stop and think about it. The reality of it is God says this is a third warning. Whoever is led astray by them is not wise. The Bible contrasts a wise person with a foolish person. And the foolish person, God says, for a foolish person, there is no hope. Because it's a fool that says in his heart there is no God. It's a fool who lives his life with reckless abandon without the accountability before God. It's a foolish person that has no hope. And so God says if you're led astray by these things, you're not wise, you're a fool. Well, aren't you being legalistic? Well, you know what? I'm going to tell you something. I'm not going to tell you what to do. I'm going to just read what the Bible has to say. And then you pray about it. You study it. You read it. And you tell me what does this mean? Seriously, what does it mean? If it says you're not wise, what does it mean? To me, it means you're not being too smart. Now, I don't know, maybe you got some insight here on something and you want to share with all of us. And if, you know, and if you leave here with some stupid idea, we'd rather have you just share it in front of everybody rather than just with your wife or husband or your family so that we can all tell you you're nuts. You know what I mean? I mean, because sometimes that's what it takes. Some of our dumbest ideas are on the confines of just our little small groups. But if you have this, if you got a brain, you know, you got some kind of a, a brain fade. But if you got some kind of a flash here, why don't you just jump on up and tell us what this really means? I don't know, but you look at it and say, man, I'll tell you what, there's a major problem with it. I'll never forget the first time in one of the companies that I was working for where uh, there was a fight that broke out in back because the guy was high on PCP. You want to see something fun? Try to stop someone who's beating on people that's high on PCP. There were bodies flying everywhere. And it was a metal shop, and there was guys getting thrown against metal. There was blood everywhere. There was cuts. There was, there was oh, gouges and wounds. And finally, by the time the police came, this guy had beat up just about everybody around. And uh, when the police showed up, it took six of them to finally get him on the ground. And they were wailing on this guy. But he was out of control. Why? Because he was under the influence of something that took possession of him. He was like demon-possessed. He was, In fact, a lot of times in the Bible, demon possession and drug use go hand in hand. But he was like possessed by something else. People think, well, well couldn't you just rationalize with them? Excuse me. Oh, I say there, you look like you're being a little violent, sir. See, and that's what, I mean, think about it. And that's what happens. You got, you got somebody in your family having a problem with drugs or alcohol, and they got... People around you saying, well, can't you just talk to them? Yeah, if we ever get to see them again. Because that's not who I'm talking to. I don't know who this person is. I don't know who that guy was that I worked for and that would come into my office. I don't have a clue. I only saw him every now and then. The rest of the time, he was somebody else. I didn't have a clue who he was. See, the problem is that alcoholic beverages and drugs are dangerous. Proverbs 23, 33 says, your, your eyes will see strange sights, your mind imagine confusing things. 
And what's, what, he's, what God is talking about here is not just the, the whole pink elephant idea of seeing things that don't exist or, you know, the, the uh, Chapman University Drug Symposium, how you get to experience things that you don't get to experience if you're not high on drugs and you get to see things you normally don't see. Well, who's to say that those things are good for you anyway? Because God says, you know what? Your eyes will see strange sights in your mind. Imagine confusing things. You'll get all messed up in your thinking. You don't know what's right or wrong. You'll th- see everything upside down. Things that used to be right now aren't right. They're wrong. Things that used to be wrong are right, and you don't know. You're confused. And that's the purpose of confusion. It clouds all of that. And oftentimes when you see the word strange or perverse, it's talking about sexual immorality. Drug use or alcohol consumption goes hand in hand with sexual immorality in the Bible. Very often you'll find a person who gets drunk ends up doing something sexually that they wouldn't have done if they weren't drunk. Or a person that's on drugs will get involved in sexual activity that they wouldn't get involved with if they weren't high on drugs. And God warns that when you get involved in this type of behavior that you're subject to do things you wouldn't normally do. Think about it. That's the old joke, you know, I've got, got to get, you know, get a couple of drinks in her and she'll do anything. I hear stuff like that all the time. It's like, man, why? Because it's an excuse or the inhibition's gone and then you begin to do things that you wouldn't normally do. And God warns that that's not right. Mission Viejo, here's one yesterday. Here's a guy who shot himself after he killed his girlfriend after he tried to, to force himself sexually upon her teenage daughter. Thursday night, their lives came to a sudden and violent end when authorities said an intoxicated black, armed with a knife and gun, forced his way into the condominium and attempted to sexually assault and shoot his girlfriend's, teen- and shoot his girlfriend's teenage daughter. Right there, right there in one example is everything God warns about. Violence, sexual immorality, and finally mocking a person. Ah, I got you to do something you wouldn't do. Now how are you going to handle it? How you handle it? He killed himself. This is, this is real life, folks. You know what I'm saying? The Word of God is relevant for real life. It's relevant for our actions as we leave here every time that we study it and we hear it. The problem is that many of us don't recognize what God has to say is true. Here's a top ten hidden hazards from health and science. You get everything in here, from sticking more mulch under your kid's swing set so they don't get hurt when they take, take a header off of it, to um, one out of three infants who use a baby walker will be injured. Here's number, number ten. Excessive drinking contributes to unwanted pregnancies, sexually transmitted diseases, and date rape. Well, gee, sounds like the world tends to agree with what God says. But we certainly wouldn't want to give them credit for knowing about it ahead of time. We like to think we make these discoveries on our own. But the reality of it is, is God knows all about us. He created us, and he knows what's good for us. He knows what's bad for us, and he knows what's going to get us into trouble. Number four, that is alcoholic beverages and drugs are designed to help people forget their misery. When you get right down to it, you know, the whole drug and alcohol industry, and even cigarettes to some degree, are designed by people for people who have no hope. No other way you can put it. Proverbs 31, 6 and 7 says, Give beer to those who are perishing, wine to those who are in anguish. Let them drink and forget their poverty and remember their misery no more. Hey, life stinks, so we might as well get drunk. Work's terrible, so we live for having, you know, weekends are made for Michelob. You know what I'm saying? See, the mindset of the world we live in, work is a curse, but to God's people, work was a blessing. 
See, there's satisfaction that comes with work, but not in the world we live in. The world we live in says, you know what, you only work because you have to. I owe, I owe, I owe, it's off to work I go. That's the only reason that people work. And it's misery, and there's anguish, and there's suffering, and life is tough. So the world says, we got a solution for it. You know what it is? Get drunk. Forget your problems. Do some drugs. Get high. Have a feel good, whatever it is. And that's what the industry does. The problem is, is that we need to understand, you know what? It just makes it worse. A person trying to escape from the problems of their life that turns to drugs find themselves entrenched and entangled in even more problems that they never even knew existed. Having a tough time at home, tough time in business, turn to drugs. Guess what? Now you still have a tough time at home, tougher time at home, tougher time in business. Now you've got a whole problem that you're dealing with that you never knew existed before, and that's a whole problem of drug addiction. And the mockery may be, you know what? Sometimes it means you lose everything. Sometimes it means, like some people I know, they find themselves doing time in prison. Sometimes it's a mockery that goes way beyond just having personal problems in your own life, but it affects you and everybody around you. See, alcoholic beverages and drugs are designed to help people forget their misery. Now, here's the problem. And here's what I want to challenge you to consider. If you are a Christian, and you've come to know Christ, and you've come to know his forgiveness, and you've come to know the abundant life that he has to offer, and you still drink or smoke or do other things, I've got to ask the question that's burning in my heart to ask you to ask yourself, why? Why do you find that necessary? Why do you turn to those things when you can turn to the God of the universe? Why do you turn to something for a temporary solution in your own mind when you can turn to the God of the universe who created you and sustains everything and he can provide whatever it is that you are needing in your life? It's a question that has to be asked. You have to ask yourself the question, why do you need to do that? Man, you know, if you think about it, there's nowhere in the Bible that you'll find that God's people are encouraged to turn to booze, to drugs, to cigarettes, to relieve stress in your life. If you're stressed out, the Bible says, you know what? Cease striving and know that he's God. If you're stressed out, then you turn to the Lord. If you're stressed out, you don't lean on your own understandings, but in all your ways you acknowledge him. If you don't know how to handle the situation, then we have the privilege as God's children to enter boldly to the throne of grace so that he will give us grace at the proper time of need. This is very uncomfortable stuff for some of us, and as well as it always is, because when the word of God goes out, the spirit of God convicts our hearts about things that we're doing that aren't right before God. This isn't a matter of me trying to put some guilt trip on you or try to get you to identify with something that I believe is true. But this is hopefully instruction to the point of saying, this is what the Bible teaches. What is the Spirit of God saying to you? I've got to ask myself the same question. As Christians, we are encouraged throughout the Word of God to turn to the Lord for all of our needs. We have access to Him. And you know what? Non-Christians don't. Those who have never confessed their sin and accepted Jesus Christ as a provision for that sin do not have access to the God of this universe. Jesus said, Before now, you have asked for nothing in my name. 
But now that you know me, you can ask, and it will be given to you, that your joy may be increased. Man, that's good stuff. Number five is that alcoholic beverages and drugs cause emotional, physical, and spiritual problems. There's no way that any of us can get around this, man. If you stop and look at it, Proverbs 23:29, Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaints? Who has needless bruises? Who has bloodshot eyes? Proverbs 23, 29 describes the, the emotional, who has woe, emotional problems. Who has complaints, social problems. Who has bruises and bloodshot eyes, physical problems. I mean, who has the, these problems? And the world around us demonstrates that those who are caught up in drug and alcohol abuse have such problems. And they create such problems in, in our society. You know, there was an article the other day about uh, looking for a beer bus, uh, Newport Beach. Police want to crack down on alcohol sales because of the alarming number of alcohol-related crimes in the city. In 1993, 650 people were arrested for driving under the influence, and 31% of the 5,600 arrests were alcohol-related. Crimes most often associated with alcohol include drunken driving, being drunk in public, assault, and rape. Listen to what he says. Alcohol impairs judgment. The majority of people do things when they're drinking they probably wouldn't have done if they were sober. You can't get around that. Everywhere you turn, the experts are telling us, those who are involved in it on a regular basis, that that's the truth. There's problems. Every 22 minutes, another life is lost to a drunken driver. $50 billion a year is the staggering statistical loss as far as what drunk driving does. 30% of all suicides involve heavy drinking. 80% of fire and drowning accidents. The suicide rate of alcoholics is 30 times that of a general population. Crime increase results as a, as a matter of drug and alcohol use. 24,000 people are killed every year by drunk driver. I mean, you go through all this, and, uh, and then the, um, Blue, I think it's a Blue Shield, Blue Cross. Blue Shield put out an inf- interesting little fact sheet. talks about, oh, here's, here's a smoking. Cigarettes contain 4,000 harmful chemicals. All tobacco contains nicotine, a highly addictive substance which speeds up your heart and causes your blood vessels to squeeze shut. Smoking tobacco leads to the early death of 390,000 Americans every year and is the nation's leading cause of death among adults. Snuff and other smokeless tobacco have been linked to increase in cancers of the mouth and throat among users. Uh, using tobacco uh, will not help you stick to your diet or control your weight. In fact, chemicals contained in tobacco change the way your body uses energy. Tobacco will not, and it goes on and talks about how messed up your teeth get, and unpleasant odors, how you stink and smell funny in front of other people. You know, now some, you know, so that may work for some of you, but you know, that's um, oh, here we go. Nearly one in five deaths in California are smoking related. Five-year federal study ranks the state 27th in percentage of smoking deaths. You know, I thought this interesting. What state do you think is first? Which one? Nevada, did you say? If you did, you're right. Wonder why that is. Well, let's see. Well, let's see. Drinking, smoking, sexual promiscuity, gambling. Oh, we're going to talk about gambling next week. I wonder how that fit in there. Um, anyway, let's see. Oh, let's see. Other drugs. You know, they've got every. I mean, you stop and look at all this. Hey, the evidence is overwhelming. Guess what? C- cigarette smoking, alcohol consumption, and doing drugs, duh, isn't good for you. Now, how's that for a summary? <laughs> Pretty powerful, huh? 
Well, I mean, it's not, it is. I mean, what else can you say? I mean, you look for all these, you know, fancy ways to tie it all together. But you know what? To sum it all up, what's the Bible say? Drunkenness is always treated as a sin. Drug use is treated as a sin. It warns us of such behavior that it's not wise. We see the mockery that goes with it. We see the violence that accompanies it. Alcohol and drugs are designed to, to try to comfort other people. You know, Southern Comfort doesn't. You follow me? Southern Comfort doesn't, but Jesus does. You got it? Emotional, physical, spiritual damage result. Well, let me give you some guidelines. We'll close on this. Stop and think about this. But, somebody say, but is it a sin? Is it a sin? It all comes back to that. Is it a sin? Well, if you're underage and you're drinking, it's a sin. Why? Because it's illegal. That makes it wrong. That makes it a sin. If you're overage and you drink, then you've got to ask yourself some other questions because it's legal doesn't make it right. So I guess that by the same logic, if they legalize other drugs, then you would feel comfortable being able to do that because it'd be legal. And some of you would go, well, no, no, but this is different. Oh, okay, well, whatever. Ask yourself some questions here, and hopefully they'll make some sense. But if drugs are legal, would it, make it, would it be a wise thing to do? Okay, well, let's go to some other things. Is it wise behavior? That's what you've got to ask yourself. These are the guidelines that the Bible puts out. Is it wise behavior? Is it a good role model for the people around you? Does it cause others to stumble? If they saw you drinking or doing something, and if it was legal, doing drugs, if others around you saw you doing that, would that be a good, quote, Christian testimony to the world around you? Got to look at that. Does it master over you? If you tell me you could quit today, could you really quit today? I don't need to drink, I don't need to smoke anymore, I don't need to do drugs. I could quit today. Well, then I will challenge you. Well, let's see if you really could. Because if you can't, 1 Corinthians 6 says it has mastered you, and therefore it is sin. Because anything that controls you other than the Spirit of God in your life, it is sin. It's wrong. Are you convicted by the Holy Spirit to stop? If you prayed about it, and we're studying Scripture, and you saw what God has to say, and you were convicted about it, and God's, the Spirit of God within you is saying, hey, you know what? Stop doing it. To him it knows the right thing to do and doesn't do it. James 4.17 says, to him it's sin. It'd be wrong. If you don't stop and God says stop, it's sin. Those are the guidelines. Those are the things we have to look at. Now, I realize certain cultural um, considerations need to take place. We've traveled all throughout the world, and it's seen everybody in Europe smokes. Almost everybody in Europe drinks. Uh, maybe how you grew up, you drank. Maybe you had wine with dinner, you had a keg in the refrigerator. I don't know, whatever it is. Whatever your cultural considerations are, those are things you have to struggle with. But on the other hand, I want to ask you a question, and we'll close on this. Turn with me in Philippians chapter 3, because I want the Bible to deal with these cultural considerations. And while you're turning there, I want you to think about this. Think about cultural considerations for a moment. There are many societies in the history of the world that were racist. That's a cultural consideration. There are many societies that believed in polygamy and bigamy. Cultural consideration. There are those that advocated the use of drugs, alcohol, other things that are cultural considerations. And as you think of all these things, there are societies such as ours that, that um, promote abortion. That's a cultural consideration, I would imagine. Or other sexual immorality. 
You know, if you stop and think about what's, there are some cultures that promoted sacrificing children. Those are cultural considerations. And so I guess as I'm, I'm struggling with all this and you start to look at these cultural considerations, you've got to ask yourself a question. Wait a minute. Just because it's something I did in my past or I grew up with or was acceptable or even because it's not acceptable, does that mean it's right or wrong? Well, the final authority is not what we used to do when I grew up, but it's what does God have to say today? And he says this in Philippians chapter 3. Paul writes about his history, his ancestry, his cultural considerations. He says, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble to me, and it is a safeguard for you. Beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision. For we who are the true circumcision, who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh, although I might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness which is in the law, I was found blameless. But you know what? Whatever these things were in my past, but whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish in order that I may gain Christ." And may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained it or I have already become perfect, but I press on in order that I may lay hold of that for which I was laid hold of by Christ. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it, but one thing I do, I forget what lies behind, and I reach forward to what lies ahead. And I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Folks, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. All things pass away, all things become new. And from the moment that we become new is a journey that God takes us on where we become more and more each day conformed to the image and the likeness of Jesus Christ. I don't know what your background is. I don't know what your past is. But all I can tell you is this, that when you're set free from your sin, as you come to know Christ, and you enter into a journey where you begin to walk with God daily to please Him and not yourself, we have to deal with things that the rest of the world doesn't have to deal with. We have to deal with things like, hey, should I still be smoking as a Christian? Should I be still drinking as a Christian? Should I still be doing drugs as a Christian? Why do I do it? What does the Bible teach? What should I be doing? God, give me wisdom. God, give me strength. God, may I trust in you and not trust in the rest of the things of this world. May I continually every day live in obedience to you so that I will become more conformed to the image of your son and be a light and a salt in the world that you've planted me in so that others may come to know you. That's the question you've got to ask yourself. And if that's being legalistic, then you don't know what it means because the Bible clearly teaches truth and it's only truth that's going to set us free from those behaviors. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time to be together. We thank you for your word. God, I just pray that in every area of our life that we'd be open to uh, the conviction of your spirit in our life. God, help us to see the wisdom of your word. Help us to trust in you and not in ourselves. God, may we turn to you when things are going difficult for us as seemingly I hear on this earth and realize that you're a God who's above it all, that you're in control of it all, that you allow things to happen in our life for your purposes, for your glory, and to bring about endurance and perfection and maturity in our life as your children. 
God, help us to see the danger of all these behaviors. Help us to see the danger, not only the physical and the social, the spiritual and the emotional dangers of drug use and alcohol use and cigarettes. And God, help us to not be selfish to where we want to please ourselves. But may we be selfless, living lives that please you. And we just thank you that you give us the strength, that you give us a way to escape the temptation, that the fruit of the Spirit includes self-control. And God, we have the ability to be obedient to you because you've made it possible. And we just thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen.